Welcome one, welcome all into Fizz Radio on this Saturday morning. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte right before the Syracuse versus Boston College basketball game coming up in just a couple hours. We'll talk about that game and Matt, we have a jam-packed show for all of our listeners. First, we'll play a little Fizz MD and talk about what has been going well and what might not be going too well for the Syracuse basketball team so far early in this season. We'll also touch on some football talk. I know the season's over, but there are some players returning, some transfers happening, so we'll touch on that. We'll then preview the BC game that's coming up in just a couple hours with AJ Black, who is a BC reporter. And of course, we'll get to fictional fizz and fizz feedback before we wrap up this show. But Matt, we have a lot to talk about, and let's start with little fizz MD. Uh, let's put on our doctor's hats and think about basically what's going well for this team and might and some things that might need to be fixed. And let's start with probably the biggest storyline for Syracuse men's basketball early in this season, and that is Joe Girard. The sophomore has really just been in a sophomore slump early this year. Yeah, absolutely. Joe has has been not exactly what people expected. I mean, there was a lot of talk about is Joe going to take that much needed step up uh, that will make him a primary scorer on this team and one that you can trust to get a bucket to every time down the floor. And I'm one who said he would. So I'm wrong. He hasn't yeah. been that guy. Um, but my main thing here is all the news that came out around Joe Girard preseason was about how much weight he put on. Last year, this guy was playing mm -hmm. around... 180, 185, he's bumped it up this season, and I think it shows in a negative light. Uh, Joe can't get by anybody. He can't defend anybody. He just looks sluggish. I think rather than putting on a bunch of muscle, he should have slimmed down and gotten faster. I mean, a guard needs to be quick, and Joe Girard hasn't shown us that this year. He's knocking down threes here and there, but the scoring really hasn't been there either. He's got no ability to drive, and he can't defend anybody, as Jim Beheim said in the last press conference. If Syracuse is going to win games consistently this season, they need somebody to be consistent out of the guard spot. So Joe Girard either has to make that happen or get out of the way for a younger guy like Kadari Richmond. Yeah, Joe Girard has, has been an issue, and when you look at some of the advanced stats, and I'm on Ken Palm right now, and I, I really like how they break it all down. Basically, Joe Girard is, in their ratings, and their offensive ratings, he's a 77.1, and to put that in perspective, 100 is an average score. So Alan Griffin is at 104 right now. Buddy Beheim 106. Woody Newton at 102. Marek Dolezal at 111. Quincy Garrier at 137. So when you look at all of those major rotation players right there, those starters, those first guys off the bench, whatever you want to call them, Joe Girard is easily the worst out of them. And you touched on a couple different things there, uh, Matt. And I think that the biggest issue right now is his defense because... Like what, I guess it's the offense leading to the defense because he's having off nights offensively and he's not making his shots. And most recently um, in that win or rather in that loss to Rutgers, um, Joe Girard only went one for eight from the field and one for six from beyond the arc. And Jim Beheim talked about it after the game that his offensive performances are leading to poor defense and he just looks really sluggish and it might be because of that weight that he put on like you talked about Matt he just is getting driven on every single game and doesn't really look like he has too much effort at the top of that 2-3 zone yeah and you mentioned it how Beheim said he's letting poor offensive performances turn into frustrated defense and that's just not something this team can suffer through if they're going to want to win 
he's not he showed that he he's having a troublesome time driving against and defending guys who are playing for Niagara and Ryder as well as Bryant. Those teams aren't exactly ACC caliber. If you think you're going to be able to walk into ACC play and play like that, it's just not going to go well. And if this team wants to succeed, I think Jim Beheim's ready to make a change. Right. And that that can be a conversation that we can have actually right now. I just want to toss out one more stat from Shot Quality. It's a website. It's super helpful. Uh, go check it out if you want to. Joe Girard, his, basically his shot quality, the quality of the shots that he is taking, are in the bottom 11th percentile in the country. He is a bottom 11th percentile shot quality player. That's so awful. he is taking horrible shots, and it's, I mean, it's showing. It's not, it's not, none of his shots are falling. He has made zero layups so far this season. He's only taken, I think it was 7% of his shots have been at the rim, and he's made none of them. So that means that he's just completely going away from being able to drive and finish towards the hoop, which sometimes when you're having an off shooting night, that's really what you want to do because those are your high quality shots. That's when you can get to the line and slow the game down and get some points at the free throw line. And Joe Girard's not doing that. He's just hucking and living and dying by the three. And right now it's more dying wise. Um, let's also talk about Joe Girard and kind of his now situation with Buddy Beheim is coming back. He was out for the past couple games because of COVID-19 exposure. He's back. Now, it puts Jim Beheim and company in a kind of awkward predicament because the question, and Matt, maybe I'll just ask you this, if put on your doctor hat, put on your Jim Beheim hat, do you want Joe Girard in the starting lineup with Buddy Beheim, or would you rather have Kadari Richmond out there? It's, a, it's an incredibly hard question to answer just because Joe's gone through it for a whole season. We've we've seen him play incredibly well. We've seen him struggle. But so far this season, Kadari Richmond has shown me only a couple things. One, he's going to play incredible defense at the top of the zone. The guy gets steals left and right all game. He he's he's stuffing the stat sheet every way. And he's going to be able to facilitate the offense. And that's something that the Orange have had trouble with so far this season. You've seen Marek take the ball up a couple of times this season and just get stripped because the guy can't dribble. Kadari yeah. Richmond at the top of that zone would play great great defense and be able to facilitate offense. Now the problem with him is maybe he's not as experienced playing ACC. It's going to be a little bit different. As we all know, players might really do well against these lesser opponents. And then once they hit ACC play... They're like, oh, wow, we're playing in a real conference right now, and they start to tail off. So when ba when Buddy comes back, I think you have to stick with Joe for now, but you his leash is as short as could be. I mean, a couple more bad games, and it's going to have to be an evident Kadari switch. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, and we talk about it every year, how Jim Beheim has this leash, um, but... Joe kind of seems like the kind of Jalen Carey type where he was pretty good at some points, but then he got in the doghouse, and if he continues to play this way and shoot this way, Joe Girard could be Jalen Carey 2.0 where he doesn't see any playing time, gets sent to the bench, and then, I mean, you see Jalen Carey wants out of Syracuse the next year. Now, I'm not saying that's actually going to happen, um, but if this bad play happen continues, 
you would expect that Jim Beheim's going to rather want wins than keep Joe Girard out there. I also would like to agree with you that Kadari Richmond out at the top of the 2-3 zone is absolutely fantastic. But again, you're listening to Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. Jaron May with Matt Bonaparte. We're talking some Fizz MD. We are putting our doctor's hats on. And Matt, there's another topic I want to talk about. Syracuse is number 17 in the entire country right now in average possession length. 17th shortest, I should say. So as a doctor, are you recommending to Syracuse and Jim Beheim to continue that fast pace, or would you like them to slow it down a little bit? I Here's where I think that fast-paced offense comes from. You see this team in transition often slow the ball down and then have no idea where to go with it, and then another possession, they, they come up and, and someone just hucks up a three. So their possessions tend to be incredibly quick because it's either Alan Griffin or Joe just hucking the ball up. I think mm-hmm. they, they take their time, they develop some offense, and they, they score buckets that are fabricated from, from screens and whatnot. Then you're going to start seeing more points fall and, and a bigger margin on the scoreboard. I think that this team is struggling heavily from guys like Alan Griffin and Joe just running down, coming off a screen and hucking up a three from deep. I think that they got to slow it down, like you mentioned. I definitely think they need to slow the ball down and and score in another facet of the game. Yeah, and the thing is, when especially in that Rutgers game, there were a couple examples of Joe Girard, like you said, getting the ball right over half court and just hucking a three, like five seconds in the shot clock. Absolutely. I don't, I don't understand what's going through his mind, and the, the commentator in that game was actually defending him, saying that that changes what the defense is expecting. Yeah, sure, the defense is going to say, go ahead, throw up 45-foot shots every single time, five seconds in the shot clock, and we'll take this. I personally am okay with the speed uh, that they're playing. They have continued to play faster and faster. I mean, three years ago, SU was in the bottom 10 for the slowest teams out there, and now they're in the top 20 um, as currently early in this season. So I'm fine with the average possession um, length. I think that they just need to get better quality shots. And if that means that you have to slow the game down, then sure, you can slow the game down. Um, again, this is FizzMD on Fizz Radio. Go give us a follow on our social media pages. Our Twitter is at OrangeFizz and our SoundCloud uh, Fizz Radio, or you can probably search Orange Fizz and you'll find us there too. This is Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio. Matt, on our last FizzMD section, uh, let's talk about probably the best player on this team right now, and that's Quincy Garrier. The sophomore is not having a sophomore slump. Instead, He's playing absolutely out of his mind, whether it's rebounding the ball, scoring the ball, just being a hustle player underneath. Plus, he's added a three-point shot to his arsenal, which, personally, I've been ecstatic with the play of Quincy Garriott. Yeah, I was about to mention, I'm glad you did, that Garriott can shoot now. I mean, he's a real threat from deep, three of five uh, from behind the arc against Rutgers. He actually can shoot the ball well against real teams, and that's just something you love to see from an offensive standpoint for for the Orange because, you know, you were wondering where that offense was going to come from, and Quincy adding an outside shot really helps that. Uh, against Niagara, he had his best 
game of the season. 23 points and 13 rebounds. It's great to see that he's still putting work in under the boards. That's something I think we really saw in his freshman season. He he wasn't going to be beat under the basket. He put in mm-hmm. all the work, all the toughness, and he always went up to get his own re- rebound, a, a teammate, or anything like that, and just put it right back up. And we've seen the same from Gary. Now with that outside shot, Gary has looked absolutely incredible for the Orange. Not necessarily the offense that Elijah Hughes left, but he's absolutely helping to get back to that no, stage. And, yeah, and they also, they, they play, those two guys play two Absolutely, they play incredibly games. differently, but I right. think the combination of a new faceted Garrier plus Alan Griffin kind of makes up for that. Yeah, and Garrier, I mean, again, going back to shot quality, the website, they have Garrier in the 97th percentile, which means that he's tied in second in the NCAA for the best quality shots that he's taking. Tied in second. There's only one player better than him, and that's Luca Garza, and he is probably going to be the best uh, player in the entire country this year. Um, I Personally, I think you touched on a lot for Quincy. I think that his three-point, three-pointer basically, adding that shot changes everything because defenses now have to basically respect him out of the three-point arc when before they could have sagged off, had some more help defense on the inside because they knew that he was only a threat um, inside the paint. And now he can shoot the three, which just completely changes everything. There was one comment that Jim Beheim had after the Rutgers game. He said, Quincy still needs to figure out the balance between shooting threes and being able to crash the boards and being a presence down low on the offensive boards. Uh, But I think that he's been absolutely fantastic. All right, that'll do it for Fizz MD here on Fizz Radio, Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We're going to step aside after the break. We'll switch gears and talk some Syracuse football, talk about who's transferring, who's staying, and everything like that. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score at 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte with you all this Saturday morning on the score 1260. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. Find all of our audio content on SoundCloud by searching Fizz Radio or Orange Fizz. And of course, go check out our articles on orangefizz.net. And Matt, let's talk about one of those articles and let's switch over. We just talked basketball. We'll get back to basketball. Don't worry about that. Uh, But let's talk some football right now. And one of the articles out on orangefizz.net Syracuse football's off-season player tracker. I highly recommend everyone go check that out because it's basically your one-stop shop uh, for everything Syracuse basketball in the, or rather Syracuse football in the off-season because there are a couple players returning using that extra year of eligibility that the NCAA granted because of COVID-19 and some players are actually transferring out of the program. And let's start with the players that are returning that this guy, he was a redshirt junior. He wasn't graduating, but there were some rumors that he might want to transfer. All of them got shut down because his dad talked to Nate Mink of Syracuse.com, but it's Tommy DeVito, the head quarterback, the guy that was out for a couple games because of a foot injury in 2020. He's coming back for his next season with the Orange and will probably be the game one starter, you would assume, for Syracuse next season. Yeah, he'll absolutely be in the spot he was this season. He, he's this team's quarterback. Uh, he's the guy who took over for Eric Dungey, and he's Dino Babers' guy. Um, I don't know if it's the best 
thing for Syracuse football right now. I, I, DeVito showed us this season that he's still not there as a quarterback. Uh, in the first couple of games, those 14 sacks are not all on the offensive line. We talked about it on this show as well as on our website at orangefizz.net. Uh, DeVito really isn't the guy, and I don't think he's going to lead this team to any kind of success. Uh, he's. I think this team would be better off with playing one of those young guys, maybe Justin Lampson coming in, you've got Jacoby and Morgan, David Summers, Dylan Markowitz, any number, multitude of guys that you could put at that spot next season. I don't think Tommy DeVito is the guy. I think Syracuse would have been much better off if he did transfer. Really? Absolutely. And you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I really like Justin Lampson, and he is going to be uh, committing to Syracuse and actually signing his letter of intent with all of the Syracuse commits uh, coming up this next Wednesday on the 16th. That is National Signing Day, and Orange Fizz will have a lot of content we have planned for that day, so make sure you tune in to our, again, SoundCloud website and Twitter. We'll have content on all of our platforms next Wednesday. Um, but I still think Tommy DeVito is the guy for next year. Yes, he's made some mistakes, but I don't really believe in true freshmen, at least for football. Basketball, it's a little different. Football, it's a little scary to have true freshmen out there, especially as a quarterback, because you just need the experience of backing up someone or having a couple games under your belt to be able to learn what college football is and pick up all the tendencies that quarterbacks really need in college football. So, yes, I think Tommy DeVito returning is a big deal. I'll disagree with you on that. All right, another big returner is Josh Black on the defensive line. He made the announcement that he's coming back. I personally think that that, again, is a really big get for Syracuse because he was the veteran presence on that defensive line, and he led the D-line in tackles last year. He has the talent. He also has the leadership that Syracuse needs. Absolutely. I think this is absolutely huge for Syracuse. If you're going to win any kind of game, you need you need a defensive line, a front seven. And Josh Black was really the only talented member of that front seven last year. And to have him coming back, like you mentioned, it's absolutely a huge leadership role. I mean, you had guys like Kingsley Jonathan and McKinley Williams who were just kind of lost out there at times, and Josh Black was your only anchor that you knew, okay, this guy knows what's going on, Mm -hmm. and this guy can anchor this defensive line. So to have Josh Black coming back for another year is gigantic for this program. Right, and especially with a a young defense, I think you could say, because we talked about this entire year. They they barely had any scholarship players playing by the end of it. I think it was in the mid-20s by that Notre Dame game that wrapped up the season. And then because of injury and also just because a lot of players opted out, um, but Josh Black is a good leadership guy on a very young defense, and I think his return is massive on the defensive side. There's also another returning player on the opposite side, on the offensive line, that is also a huge leader and a huge get for Dino Babers to be able to come back and mentor some of these younger guys. And that's Aaron Service. The offensive line, the redshirt senior this past season, will be coming back for a sixth season, and he's had 48 consecutive starts for the Orange on the O-line. Uh, you can't say enough about service and his leadership, especially on an O-line that you can say is questionable, to say the least. Yeah, Aaron's service is absolutely huge. I mean, 
just a year ago, I mean, you heard me talk about it plenty, about how awful this offensive line was. <laughs> I think they were better this season. I don't think they were very good, but they were definitely better. And I think that's a lot because Aaron Service was playing anywhere you needed him to play most, la- or most often on that left edge and the most important position on the line. Service has been absolutely huge for this program. As you mentioned, 48 consecutive games started for Syracuse football. He's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to come in and be that leader, be that guy that you need to, to bring those other guys and get them in the right direction. Right. And in Service's announcement that he was coming back, he said, quote, I assure you, Orange Nation, things are going to change. We will win. So it seems like he's motivated. It seems like he's all in to come back for Syracuse. Uh, and that kind of rounds out currently who we know is returning. And of course, we're actually recording this on Thursday, so there might be some changes. If there are any changes, go check out our website, orangefizz.net. Again, the article is Syracuse Football's Off-Season Player Tracker. And of course, we'll be tweeting out any updates if we have that. And you can go follow us at Orange Fizz. Right now, this is Fizz Radio with Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. We just talked about the players that are returning. Now let's talk about really only two big names. There are two others that we don't really need to talk about, Matt, but two big names that are transferring out of the program, and you can say one is really the only big one, and let's start with him. It's Aaron Hackett, the senior tight end, who was very underutilized this past season in the new offense for Syracuse and Sterling White's offense, or Sterling Gilbert's, rather. Uh yeah, I don't I don't blame Hackett for leaving Syracuse. I really don't. I was about to say I don't blame him at all for leaving. <laughs> I mean, the guy was not in in this new offense. He just was his his play was not involved. I mean, his he caught 10 passes. The poor guy was barely out there and if he was, he was most likely blocking. Uh, it's absolutely an underwhelming year for Hackett. We also saw him drop passes. He just didn't seem like his head was in the game at all times and I seriously cannot blame him. I think transferring is the best move for him because I think he's a very talented player. We saw that last season. He he had some key touchdowns here and there, uh, and this year just wasn't the year for Aaron. Neither for Luke Benson, but Luke Benson sticking around going to be that number one guy now with Hackett out of the picture. Yeah, Benson still has a couple more years um, because he's on the younger side. Hackett only has one more year. I think he sees uh, nothing's going to change with Sterling Gilbert, or if it does, it's going to take some time. So why not leave this place and go to a place that will actually use me and recognize my talents? Listen, in 2019, he was second. He had the second most touchdown receptions on the SU team and was SU's most improved offensive player. And then this year, he barely gets used at all. I don't really understand it. It was a point of conversation for us at Orange Fizz a lot through the season. You can you can go check out those articles if you want. Uh, but Aaron Hackett leaving Syracuse, we both agree that it's good for him. Um, the next guy that is transferring out of Syracuse football is Markenzie Pierre, the redshirt junior, the running back. I don't blame him either. He got completely thrown down the depth chart and is now running back four if he really stayed at Syracuse, and especially if a couple of those opt-outs come back, he'll get moved down even farther. He was really just a special teams guy this past season, so I don't blame him. I also don't think Syracuse is going to miss Markenzie Pierre too much. Yeah, the best thing about Markenzie is his name. I mean, he really didn't, he didn't <laughs> put anything on the football field that was all that special. Uh, and like you said, he's going to have plenty of guys in front of him next season. I think it's also uh, great for Markenzie to get some more opportunities elsewhere because I think he is—he has some talent, but he, he didn't show it for Syracuse. 
Right. I think he's he definitely has the speed and kind of the quick trigger ability that some coaches in some places are looking for. And I think Syracuse would want to use him, but they just have a very crowded backfield this year, especially now with Cooper Lutz and Sean Tucker taking over, then you might see uh, a couple opt-outs return. So who knows? We'll see. That's going to do it for this little segment of Fizz Radio. Again, if you want to go check out all of the offseason player moves for Syracuse football, orangefizz.net is your place. Make sure you follow us on Twitter again at orangefizz. But again, this is Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. We're going to step aside. After the break, we'll be talking with AJ Black, a BC basketball beat reporter, to preview the BC Syracuse men's basketball game that is coming up in just a couple hours. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte, and we are getting you going for the Syracuse versus Boston College men's basketball game coming up this afternoon at one o'clock. And now we are joined by AJ Black, the host of the Locked On Boston College podcast and one of the main writers for BC Bulletin. AJ, thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, thank you for having me on, guys. Good talking to you. So Syracuse and Boston College coming up in just a couple hours. It should be a good matchup. And BC so far this season, probably not the best starts that they really wanted. One and four on the year, but they brought Minnesota, a pretty good team, to overtime. What have you been seeing so far out of the Eagles this year that have kind of just stood out in the big headlines? The big headlines has been inconsistent play is what I would say. You know, they for they go long periods of time looking like a – a team that could battle in the ACC and, 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 you know, good depth and good, good play all around. And then they go for periods of time where they're maddening in terms of like, they're just, they can't get anything going. The wheels fall off and then they pick it back up again. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a roller coaster with this team. You know, you see these moments where you're like, it feels good. And then the moments where it's, it's, it's more of the same. And in the end, those moments are what's been killing Boston college because that, you know, against Minnesota, they had a 15-point lead going into the second second half, and they blew it in five minutes. So, you know, I think that's been a big challenge for the Eagles. The Eagles this season, not a lot of taller players, and I think that's something that might be impacting their, their play under the board. Syracuse also not a team that is heavy in board play. Do you think that BC is going to match up well against Syracuse, or do you think that will be an issue? Um, size wise, I think that's okay. I think they've been okay with the small ball. You know, they've got a couple good rebounders, Stefan Mitchell and CJ Felder. They're not the tallest guys, but you know, they're able to, to keep BC off the, you know, get the boards that they need to, to keep BC going. Um, you know, the bigger issue in terms of their play, I think that Sy- is going to be an issue with Syracuse is that zone defense. I know last year against Syracuse, BC only scored 50 points in one game and did well in the second. I think they scored 71. Um, but what I worry about is that BC gets sloppy and when they get sloppy, that's a, that's a, that's going to be a big issue against a team like Syracuse that can make you pay on the defensive end of the ball. So I think that's going to be a bigger issue than height in terms of what, what goes on between BC and Syracuse. Yeah, one of those guys you just talked about, Stefan Mitchell, he kind of reminds me of Marek Dolajai of Syracuse, kind of just uh, maybe undersized, not as big, but still likes to battle under, uh, under the hoop. And he's kind of just a do-it-all player. He can assist, he can grab turnovers, he can get steals, he can shoot the ball, he can do really whatever the team wants. Um, BC this year, and it's kind of been a trend recently, 
really like to shoot the three. Same thing with Syracuse. Both teams are right around the 35-40 mark in the NCAA Division One for amount of three-pointers shot per field goal. Basically, which team shoots the most three-pointers. Um, is that kind of a thing that you see BC having a kind of leg up on Syracuse this in this game coming up in a couple hours, or is it kind of just an even play? I think it's even, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, one of the issues with the three point play is that, you know, they're taking a lot of them, but a lot of that is their difficulty in, in getting to the hoop, you know, BC's ability to slash and get to get, get inside for easier buckets has not been there. So they've been stuck shooting three pointers mm -hmm. and, you know, they've been better than they have been last year. And they have, you know, Winston tabs, Jay Heath, and even some of the bigger guys, CJ Felders hit a couple, um, you know, they've, they've been there, but it it's, I think that those types of percentage shots is what leads into those, what I was saying about the roller coaster, because all it takes is their inability to get an easy bucket and they're shooting threes and they're missing, you know, they go through a cold streak all of a sudden now the offense is completely disjointed. So in some ways, if they can hit those, hit those shots, they can get the offense going. But I think sometimes when they rely on that too much, that's what kills the offense. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May here with AJ Black of the BC Bulletin. AJ, a lot of this team's scoring comes from underclassmen. Winston Tabb, CJ Felder, and Jay Heath are three of your double digit scorers over there in Boston College. Do you think they're inexperienced ever hurts them on the court? No, I don't think, you know, Jay Heath, he's in his second year and fell to the same thing. And Tabs, this is like, you know, he missed all of last year with a knee injury. And it was, I think the bigger issue with him is that they didn't even think he'd ever play again. His knee injury was so bad. It, it lingered for a while. They had the surgery. He hadn't played in, I think, 600 and something days um, going into the season. So his rustiness, I think, was a big piece of that. Um, Heath, um, he, he gets a little bit too much into hero ball every now and then where he's just taking way too many low percentage shots and Felder, he's young. He came to play at BC last year at 17 and was a starter right off the bat, but he's growing and he's, he's becoming a much more complete player for Boston college he, of any player on this team, other than tabs, who's just a story in himself. Felder's play, I think is the biggest story in terms of the growth of this team, because he looks like a guy that can shoot the ball now and he just, the confidence, you could see it growing in him. And, I, and that's been the most impressive thing, I think. Jay Heath, I mean, he could definitely get hot, kind of like you, like what you said. Uh, he was one of the best shooters in the ACC, especially for freshmen last season. This season, especially with shot quality, uh, he's ranked in the 27th percentile, so not the best, kind of like what you were talking about. Definitely could benefit from maybe a, a couple easier shots and being able to get to the rim a little more. Um, what are the storylines that I really appreciate for Boston College this season is how there's brothers. And we, at least at Syracuse, it's the father-son duo with Jim mm -hmm. Beheim and Buddy Beheim. But now with Boston College, you have Makai Ashton Langford and Damar Langford and their brothers. Have you seen just that kind of dynamic of being able to play with your brother, help those two out on the floor? You haven't seen it yet, but I can tell you Makai was very excited about it. You know, they talked a lot because of the, the COVID outbreak. The two of them practiced a lot together because, you know, if they couldn't get to on campus, they would, you know, the two of them would find a hoop and just play together. Um, Makai, 
is uh and and damar damar is much younger and seems much younger than makai makai's been around for a while um and he's a much more seasoned player he played with providence uh before he transferred over to bc uh, he was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school um same thing with damar so this is a very talented family this is the second year in a row actually boston college has had brothers they had the hamilton brothers last year um, but both of them are gone one from transfer and one from graduation um damar is got a i think in terms of the brothers has a probably a bigger upside but he's a freshman um and one of the one of my bc connections at, at uh, on the staff refers to him as a man baby he's humongous <laughs> and he's like he's just young he's just very young um and you see like he'll have moments where you're like whoa the talent is just there you can see it but he's he's learning to pick up the game and i think it's going to take a little bit of time for him makai is much more seasoned and he you know he he runs i think an offense at like 80 miles an hour is what i would say he's <laughs> constantly go 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 um and i think that's good um but at times his offense that speed kind of bites him in the butt and gets them into like you know defensive traps and, and offensive fouls and things like mm. that so you know i think they're both learning uh, but they're both exciting players to watch Right. And Makai, at least in that last game uh, against Minnesota, he had that go, well, not go ahead. It was rather a tying bucket with seven seconds left to force that game Mm -hmm. into overtime. So maybe a little clutch gene in him. I also was doing my research and DeMar, he actually wanted to be a football player growing up. He said he loved football. He was going to give basketball to Makai and he was going to play football in college. But then he realized I'm six, five, maybe I should (laughs) switch over to the basketball court. So another part of this BC team, and again, we're speaking with AJ Black of the BC Bulletin and Locked On Boston College podcast here on Fizz Radio. Uh, another big part of this BC team this year is just all the transfers. You already talked about how Makai transferred. Rich Kelly, who's been a really important part to this team, uh, came over as well. What have you seen from the transfers that have kind of added uh, a different layer to this BC team this year that they didn't have last season? So right now, you know, Makai... BC basketball for the last couple of years has been nice. Like they're like a nice team. Like they don't, they don't have an edge to them. Makai Ashton Langford has an edge. And I think that's a big addition to that team is they needed someone out there that can trash. Like you want a guy that can trash talk every now and then and really kind of energize his teammates. He, he does that. And I think that's a big piece that BC needed. Um, Rich Kelly, he can shoot. Um, I'm always kind of cautious in terms of the, of the transfers um, because most of them are coming from Mac other than Makai, they're all coming from Mac level programs where they were, you know, playing against Quinnipiac and Lehigh and all these other schools playing four of those schools. Um, So you get guys like uh, Rich Kelly, who he's not the most dynamic player. He's a shooter. So if he can find a shot, he's going to get it but he can't make his own shot. He doesn't have that piece to him. They're all kind of like incomplete is what I would say. James Karnick um, is a big guy. Um, again, I've only seen him play twice now because he, he just got his waiver. Um, but he's he's an important piece too because again, he's another center that can back up Felder. And um, uh, Fred Scott has got a knee injury. I don't know if he's going to come back um, with, with COVID. It's so hard to get like full reports on what's going on and anything. <laughs> I don't know if this is when they say knee, is that like an ACL tear or is this like, they're not telling us anything. So he could be back. I don't know, but he's another, he's another, another wing um, who can really stretch the floor. He's a good outside shooter, Um, but we've only seen him for one or two games. 
All right. That was AJ Black of the BC Bulletin and Locked On Boston College podcast. AJ, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, guys. Take care, everyone. All right. Coming up next on Fizz Radio, we'll get to fictional fizz and your fizz feedback. Wrapping up shop here on Fizz Radio, we just talked with AJ Black, the BC beat reporter, to talk about the Syracuse-BC men's basketball game coming up at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Matt, let's finish this show up with some fictional Fizz and Fizz feedback. I think uh, at least it's mine. I don't know if it's your favorite segments, but it's definitely mine. Um, And fictional Fizz is, of course, when we throw out some random betting lines that are completely made up. And Matt kind of gives us his thoughts. And Matt, let's start uh, with over-under. And again, this is just for the BC game that's coming up in a couple hours. Over-under, 18.5 points for Buddy, who's returning um, after a couple games off. 18.5 points, are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to have to go with the over. It's a uh, okay. it's a revenge game for Buddy. He he's he's getting revenge against COVID contact tracing. He's going to come in <laughs> and he's I think having twenty three points in the first game of the season. Obviously, he wasn't playing an ACC opponent, but Buddy's going to be a big part of the offense today. I think he's going to put up at least twenty two. Okay, twenty two. So he had twenty one in the season opener. He led the team there. You're saying he's going twenty two. So you're taking the over. Um, I'll take the over just barely, maybe 19 or 20. I don't think he gets up to 22. I'd love it. I mean, I would absolutely love it, but I don't think it's it's that high. Either way, we both take the over. All right, next one on Fictional Fizz here on Fizz Radio, Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. Uh, Matt, nine and a half rebounds for Quincy against BC this afternoon. He is averaging nine and a half rebounds per game. So is he over or under that mark? I think he's going to be under that mark. Uh, hmm. Against Rutgers, only five rebounds tends to, to seem like against the better teams, he has a little bit of a hard time uh, catching boards. So against an ACC opponent, I'm going to say he'll, he'll stick around seven or eight. Okay. Um, I'll take the over. I think Quincy's just now hitting his stride. I think he hits 10, if not 11. Um It'll be close, and Boston College is a pretty good rebounding team, especially with Stephon Mitchell um, underneath. But I'll give Quincy the go-ahead and give him the over there. Um, all right, next well, next up here on Fictional Fizz, we talked about how Joe Girard has not been great so far this season, to say the least. He is 10 for 33 from beyond the arc. He was 1 for 6 against Rutgers. Is he shooting over or under 30% from three against BC? Under. Got to be under. Uh, <laughs> I think he's going to come in. Here's the reason why. I think he's going to come in, like Buddy, he's going to attempt a revenge game, uh, but it's not going to go as well for him. He, he had a good game against Ryder, six for 12, but again, it's Ryder. Uh, I think he's going to end up going two for eight or something like that. Okay. So I'll take, ooh, I really like the line I said. I'll take the under two. I don't think, I, maybe he hits two of eight and is just under. Um, I think he'll be close, but I don't think he goes off for three, four, five threes in this game. Um, I, th- I think he'll only hit one or two. All right, last one here on Fictional Fizz on Fizz Radio, Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. Um, over under 26 and a half minutes for Kadari Richmond, who we don't know if he's going to be starting or coming off the bench with Buddy Beheim coming back. Is he over under 26 and a half minutes? I think he's going to be under 26 and a half minutes. I don't think mm-hmm. Beheim quite trusts him to play in the first ACC game of the season to play him 26 and a half minutes. I think he'll have some significant minutes. I think he'll maybe be around 15, 18 but I don't think that he's going to get that significant amount of playing time in the first ACC matchup. 
Okay, well, he's averaging 28 minutes per game so far this season. Um, I think he hits the over because I'm still not sold on Joe Girard. I think he's going to have a short leash. I think he ultimately gets pulled in this game, and Kadari will be able to step up and play that point guard role with Buddy Beheim because we know Buddy can't be the point guard. Joe Girard isn't as great as a point guard. He's better as a shooting guard, and Kadari Richmond is really that true point guard that Buddy needs to complement him. So I'll take over 26 and a half minutes minutes here on Fictional Fizz. All right, that's going to do it for that little segment. Uh, Matt, to wrap up the show, let's go to Fizz Feedback. That's where we put our polls on our Twitter page, at Orange Fizz, if you want to go check them out. We put up five this week, and let's go through basically the most important three. The first one, who do you want starting in the Syracuse backcourt on Saturday versus Boston College? Uh, 82% of the vote went Richmond and Bayheim. Matt, do you agree? I love the Syracuse fan base. I absolutely do think they're one of the best fan bases in the country. But they're quick to shove somebody away when they're struggling. I think you got to <laughs> stick with Joe Girard for a little bit longer. I think Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim is your best combination right now. I think Kadari Richmond is an incredibly talented player who has an, a wild upside. But right now, I think that Girard is your guy. I mean, he, he yes, he's had some struggles. And I, I just said that I don't think he's going to be shooting that well from three, but you got to give him some time to figure it out. All right, so you're going Gerard Beheim. I think that's what I would do to start. However, if Joe continues to struggle and continues not only offensively, but also defensively, if he continues to be exploited by opposing teams, and especially with BC, they have some players that can drive and they like to be able to get inside and then kick out for open threes. Uh, if they continue to do that against Joe and he seems like he's being exploited, I would totally be fine with Kadari and Buddy to kind of take the brunt of the minutes in this game uh, coming up in a couple hours. All right, let's get to our next uh, Fizz feedback on our Twitter page at Orange Fizz. It is who have you been most impressed uh, impressed with so far this season for Syracuse men's basketball? The options: Alan Griffin. Quincy Garrier, Marek Dolajai, and Kadari Richmond. And it is just narrowly Kadari Richmond with 43% of the vote, 41% of the vote for Quincy Garrier. Matt, who are you more impressed with? I voted for Kadari Richmond uh, because he, he just came out of nowhere. I really didn't expect him to put in the kind of uh, numbers that he has. The guy's been everywhere on the court when he's on it. Uh, Quincy Garrier obviously having his career year, but... Kadari has been the guy this season. I think he's been most impressive. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to go Quincy. I, I I think he's been absolutely fantastic. Some of the deeper stats that I've been finding on Ken Palm and shot quality and other websites like that have really proven how much he has improved this season compared to last year. And I think that groin injury that he was really dealing with in uh, in last season has just completely gone by the wayside, and he is completely back, healthy, and really proving to be the NBA prospect that he was really hyped up to be as when he was coming into Syracuse. So I'm impressed with Quincy. All right, last one on Fizz feedback again. Orange Fizz uh, is the at on Twitter. Let's go to the football side of things. And of the senior Syracuse football players who have not announced their decision yet, and again, we are recording this on Thursday, so maybe this has already come out, but who do you want to return the most? Nikeem Johnson, Chris Elmore, Kingsley Jonathan, or Abdul Adams? Matt, who is your choice? Give me the rhino. I need Mr. <laughs> I need Mr. Utility back in orange. He, he has been the guy this season for Syracuse. He could play any position, as we know. 
uh, Todd Harris said he'd be playing quarterback if they didn't have one to put out there. So I got I got to get Chris Elmore back on this team. Yeah, I think Elmore leadership-wise is really good, and he actually wins the vote 38%. Kingsley Jonathan with 37, so a narrow victory. I think Nikeem Johnson, because that Syracuse offense still needs some help on the outside, and he's just a speedster that can help you everywhere. So I went Nikeem Johnson. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Syracuse and Boston College men's basketball coming up at 1 o'clock. Make sure you tune in to that. And of course, we will have our National Signing Day coverage coming up this Wednesday the 16th with a lot of coverage for Syracuse football but for Matt Bonaparte I'm Jaron May signing off we'll catch you next time